The Big Time of Trouble. It is most important as we begin this study that we clearly understand the two different time spans that are involved in the little time of trouble and the big time of trouble. As we have studied in previous tapes, the little time of trouble comes first and covers a period of time which begins in the setting up of the image of the beast when a national Sunday law is enacted in the United States and continues until the close of probation. The time span for the big time of trouble covers that period from the moment probation closes to the great event when Christ shall appear the second time. Since I believe with all my heart that the thousands who will hear this tape will personally experience both the little and the big time of trouble, therefore we need to clearly discern how we, how we will become involved in these two separate events, keeping in mind that during these fearful times that both the wicked and the righteous will suffer, but the righteous will to a great extent be shielded by heavenly angels by the command of God. So as we begin, let us pray. Dear Father, which art in heaven, our human hearts tremble as we face this big time of trouble, as Satan unleashes his satanic power upon the world, culminating in a universal death decree for every saint. This is why we ask for divine wisdom, that we may discern how we should be preparing to claim the divine protection. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please reach for your Bible and turn with me to Revelation, the 16th chapter. I want to read the entire chapter together. Revelation 16. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon all men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, 
and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial unto the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightning and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake, and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon them a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Now, let us establish when the seven last plagues will fall. You will recall that the little time of trouble begins with the setting up of the image of the beast by the enactment of a national Sunday law. It is during this time, just before probation closes, that Satan is restrained in his destructive power because there are still many souls scattered throughout Babylon that need to be warned so that they can make their final decision. During this time, Satan's power is limited. But when probation closes for all mankind, Satan's restraints are removed, and immediately two powerful agencies begin their dreadful work. One, Satan is now completely free to bring havoc upon his wicked followers, and the other, God, who pours out his wrath upon the wicked as promised in the third angel's message. Visualize with me this graphic picture. While Satan is claiming his victims through calamities and warfare, God is also pouring out the vials of the seven last plagues. Consider the contrast. 
Satan openly displays his power to destroy, that he might satisfy his evil nature. But the plagues, they fall for a vastly different reason. After years of mercy and pleading to the sinners, giving them every opportunity to follow him, God's judgments fall as a penalty for breaking his law, since probation has closed. And Christ leaves the heavenly sanctuary and gives instructions to his angels to begin pouring out his vials of wrath upon the wicked. Thus, the big time of trouble begins, and words are inadequate to describe what happens. In the Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, page 440, it is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. But this is not true of the crisis before us. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. Please remember, the wicked have all made their final decision to deny God and have committed the unpardonable sin. Thus, the forgiving presence of God has been completely withdrawn from the earth, leaving the wicked totally under the control of Satan. Listen to the description of these conditions among the wicked. I'm reading from Great Controversy, page 614. Unsheltered by divine grace, they, speaking of the wicked, have no protection from the wicked one. Satan will then plunge the inhabitants of the earth into one great final trouble. As the angels of God cease to hold in check the fierce winds of human passion, all the elements of strife will be let loose. The whole world will be involved in ruin more terrible than that which came upon Jerusalem of old. And then she tells us how this will take place. I'm reading on. A single angel destroyed all the firstborn of the Egyptians and filled the land with mourning. When David offended against God by numbering the people, one angel caused that terrible destruction by which his sin was punished. The same destructive power exercised by holy angels when God commands will be exercised by evil angels when he permits. There are forces now ready and only waiting the divine permission to spread desolation everywhere." Unquote. In my travels for the General Conference in behalf of evangelism, I have been in almost every major city of the world. After reading what will happen as described in Inspiration, you can imagine what went through my mind as I walked the streets amid these giant skyscrapers, soon to be turned into heaps of rubble. And whom do you suppose will be held responsible for such destruction of all the wicked's wealth? We find the answer in Great Controversy, page 614. Those who honor the law of God have been accused of bringing the judgments upon the world, and they will be regarded as the cause of the fearful convulsions of nature and the strife and bloodshed among men that are filling the earth with woe." Unquote.
And to make matters even worse, one must recall that the counterfeit revival which began previous to the enforcing of the image of the beast by enacting a national Sunday law will continue to grow in intensity until the wicked come to believe that they alone are the servants of God. They become filled with religious zeal under satanic power, ready to do the evil works that their master commands them to do. Quote, the forms of religion will be continued by a people from whom the Spirit of God has been finally withdrawn. And the satanic zeal with which the prince of evil will inspire them for uh, the accomplishment of his malignant designs will bear the semblance of zeal for God." Unquote. Great Controversy 615. Now, let us consider the justice of God in dealing with such wickedness. I'm quoting, When Christ ceases his intercession in the sanctuary, the unmingled wrath threatened against those who worship the beast and his image and receive his mark, as you read in Revelation 14, 9 and 10, will be poured out, unquote. Great Controversy 627. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to picture a God of love and a God of mercy as also a God of justice. But let me quote again. In all the Bible, God is presented not only as a being of mercy and benevolence, but as a God of strict and impartial justice. One who has stood as our intercessor, who hears our penitential prayers and confessions, who is represented with a rainbow, the symbol of grace and love encircling his head, is soon to cease his work in the heavenly sanctuary. Grace and mercy will then descend from the throne and justice will take their place. He for whom his people have looked will assume his right, the office of a supreme judge." Unquote. That's found in Last Day Events, page 240. What a change this will make. For the time has arrived for God to punish the transgressors of his law. This is so contrary to what is preached within so many of the churches today. But listen to this, I'm quoting. God's love is represented in our day as being of such a character as would forbid his destroying the sinners. Men reason from their own low standard of right and justice. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself. Psalms 50:21. They measure God by themselves. They reason as to how they would act under the circumstances and decide God would do as they imagine they would do. In no kingdom or government is it left to the lawbreakers to say what punishment is to be executed against those who have broken the law. All we have are the bounties of his grace which we possess. The aggregated character of sin against such a God 
cannot be measured with a span. God is a moral government governor as well as a father. He is the lawgiver. He makes and executes his law. And notice this statement. Law that has no penalty is of no force. The plea may be made that a loving father would not see his children suffer the punishment of God by fire while he had the power to relieve them. But God would, for the good of his subjects and for their safety, punish the transgressor. God does not work on the plan of man. He can do infinite justice that man has no right to do before his fellow men. Noah would have displeased God to have drowned one of the scoffers and mockers that harassed him. But God drowned the vast world. Lot would have had no right to inflict punishment on his sons-in-law, but God would do it in strict justice. Then this statement, who will say God will not do what he says he will do? Unquote. That's found in manuscript release number 12, 207 to 209, and manuscript 10, 265. And consider this tremendous statement found in Last Day Events, page 240. It is the glory of God to be merciful, full of forbearance, kindness, goodness, and truth. But justice shown in punishing the sinner is as verily the glory of the Lord as is the manifestation of his mercy." Unquote. So you can see that in this big time of trouble, since Christ is no longer within the sanctuary, his work there being finished, his intercession is closed, and probation has ended. And there is nothing to stay the wrath of God as it breaks with fury upon the shelterless head of the guilty sinner. Now, let us take special note of this very important statement found in Selected Messages 3, 426. Solemn events before us are yet to transpire. Trumpet after trumpet is to be sounded, vial after vial poured out, one after another, upon the inhabitants of the earth." Unquote. In this passage we discover that it is during the big time of trouble that the seven trumpets of destruction mentioned in Revelation 8 to 10 are also affecting the wicked in addition to the seven last plagues. Students of the spirit of prophecy may wonder why Ellen White has so little to say about these trumpet soundings. For the truth is, while the seven trumpets bring added destruction upon the wicked, they in no way destroy any of the righteous. For the righteous have been sealed and will never die. They are waiting for translation. So, why should some of our preachers get so excited to stir up the faithful about asteroids, great tidal waves, famines and fires? All this will only destroy the wicked whose probation has closed. And don't overlook in reading Revelation 9, 20, and 21, 
you will notice that when these things happen, the wicked do not repent. Why? Because there is no intercessor to plead their cause. In Revelation 19, in Revelation 9, 20 and 21, we read, The rest of the men which were killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Since God will no longer have mercy on the rebellious wicked, the seven last plagues are poured out. Testimonies to Ministers, page 182. The world is soon to be left by the angel of mercy, and the seven last plagues are to be poured out. The bolts of God's wrath are soon to fall, and when he shall begin to punish the transgressors, there will be no period of respite until the end. In the Great Controversy, page 628, I continue. Since the Revelator, in describing those terrific scourges, there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. The sea became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea, and the rivers and the fountains of life became blood. Terrible as these inflictions are, God's justice stands fully vindicated. The angel of God declares, Thou art righteous, O Lord, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Revelation 16, 2 to 6. In the plagues that follow, power is given to the sun to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat. Verses 8 and 9. The prophets thus describe the condition of the earth at this fearful time. The land mourneth, because of the harvest of the field is perished. All the trees of the field are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. The seed is rotten under their clods, and the garners are laid desolate. How do the beasts groan? The herds of the cattle are perplexed, because they have no pasture. The rivers of water are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. The songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. Joel 1 Amos 8.3. These plagues are not universal, or the inhabitants of the earth would be wholly cut off. Yet they will be the most awful scourges that have ever been known to mortals. All the judgments upon men prior to the close of probation have been mingled with mercy. The pleading blood of Christ has shielded the sinner from receiving the full measure of his guilt. But in the final judgment, wrath is poured out unmixed with mercy. Unquote. As these plagues fall, 
that we could become enraged. For under Satan they believe that if the righteous could be eliminated, the plagues would stop. This is the reason that the death decree is finally issued throughout the world. Early Writings, page 36. These plagues enraged the wicked against the righteous. They thought that we had brought the judgments of God upon them, and that if they could rid the earth of us, the plagues would then be stayed. A decree went forth to slay the saints." Unquote. It is now that the time of Jacob's trouble begins, when God will step in to protect his obedient children. First, God will lead his people to a safe refuge. In Maranatha, page 290, during the night a very impressive scene passed before me. <clears throat> there seemed to be great confusion and the conflict of armies. A messenger from the Lord stood before me and said, Call your household. I will lead you. Follow me. And he led me down a dark passage, through a forest, and then through the cleft of the mountains, and said, Here you are safe. There were others who had been led to this retreat. The heavenly messenger said, the time of trouble has come as a thief in the night. As the Lord warned you, it would come." Unquote. Satan's hosts will do all that they can to prevent the saints, the saints from obeying God's leadings. Quote, in the time of trouble, we all fled from the cities and villages but were pursued by the wicked, who entered the houses of the saints with a sword. They raised the sword to kill us, but it broke and fell powerless as a straw. Then we all cried day and night for deliverance, and the cry came up before God. Early Writings 34. From the book, from the same book I read, angels provided them with food and water while the wicked were suffering from hunger and thirst. Page 282. Praise God. Day and night the saints plead with God for help while the wicked exult that soon they can slay them. Great Controversy 630. Yet to human sight <clears throat> it will appear that the people of God must soon seal their testimony with their blood, as did the martyrs before them. They themselves begin to fear that the Lord has left them to fall into the hands of the enemy. It is a time of fearful agony, day and night, they cry unto God for deliverance. The wicked are exalted. This is the time when the saints soon to be translated are tested, not only for food and water and for life itself, but something far deeper. In the Great Controversy, page 618, as Satan accuses the people of God, on account of their sins, the Lord permits him to try them to the uttermost. Their confidence in God, their faith and firmness will be severely tested. As they review the past, their hopes sink, for in their whole lives they can see little good. They are fully conscious of their weakness and unworthiness. Satan endeavors to terrify them with the thought that their cases are hopeless, that the stain of their defilement will never be washed away. He hopes so to destroy their faith 
if they will yield to his temptations and turn from their allegiance to God. Though God's people will be surrounded by enemies who are bent upon their destruction, yet the anguish which they suffer is not a dread of persecution for the truth's sake. They fear that every sin has not been repented of and that through some fault in themselves they will fail to realize the fulfillment of the Savior's promise. I will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world. Revelation 3.10 God will use this experience to develop final character perfection. To understand this, we need only compare it with the great test given to Christ in Gethsemane. In his last few hours, he too took the cup and the baptism of suffering. Christ was without sin, yet by this test he was perfected. This is what we read in the scripture, Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. Though he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So, in our final test, it will not be to remove sin, for we too have already overcome sin and been sealed. But in order to give us this special experience worthy of translation, we must learn to say with Christ, not my will, but thine be done. Thus, trusting totally in God, submitting to his will, we shall also drink the cup as he did and be baptized with suffering. In early writings, page 272, are these words. I saw measures taken against the company who had the light and the power of God. Darkness thickened around them, yet they stood firm, approved of God, and trusting in Him. I saw them perplexed. Next I heard them crying unto God earnestly. Day and night their cry ceased not. And notice these words. Thy will, O God, be done. If I can glorify thy name, make a way of escape for thy people. Deliver us from the heathen round about us. They have appointed us unto death. But thine arm can bring salvation. These are all the words which I can bring to mind. All seem to have a deep sense of their unworthiness and manifested entire submission to the will of God. Yet, like Jacob, everyone, without an exception, was earnestly pleading and wrestling for deliverance. Soon after they had commenced their earnest cry, the angels in sympathy desired to go to their deliverance, but a tall commanding angel suffered them not. He said, The will of God is not yet fulfilled. They must drink of the cup. They must be baptized with the baptism. Unquote. Never forget it is Satan who is trying to destroy the saints. Early Writings 2.33 In some places before the time of the decree to be executed, the wicked rushed upon the saints to slay them. But thank God, 
Angels in the form of men of war fought for them. Satan wished to have the privilege of destroying the saints of the Most High, but Jesus bade his angels watch over them. God would be honored by making a covenant with those who had kept his law in the sight of the heathen round about them, and Jesus would be honored by translating without their seeing death the faithful waiting ones who had so long expected him." Unquote. So praise God, there will be no martyrs, for probation has been closed in the big time of trouble. Reading on in Great Controversy 634, if the blood of Christ's faithful witnesses were shed at this time, it would not, like the blood of martyrs, be as seed sown to yield a harvest for God. Their fidelity would not be a testimony to convince others of the truth. For the obdurate heart has beaten back the waves of mercy until they return no more. Do you know what that word means? It means stubbornly resisting in wrongdoing. In other words, they have committed the unpardonable sin. And so I continue reading. If the righteous were not left to fall a prey to their enemies, it would be a triumph for the prince of darkness. Glorious will be the deliverance of those who have patiently waited for his coming and whose names are written in the book of life. In this time, Christ will say, and I'm quoting Isaiah 26:20, Come, my people, enter thou <clears throat> into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. The spirit of prophecy explains what these words mean in the book Maranatha, page 270. What are the chambers in which they are to hide? They are the protection of God and holy angels." Unquote. Finally, we are told, deliverance will come at midnight. Great Controversy, page 636. In a midnight, it is at midnight that God manifests his power for the deliverance of his people, because this is the plan of the enemy to slay all the faithful in one night. Reading on on page 635, when the protection of human laws shall be withdrawn from those who honor the law of God, there will be in different lands a simultaneous movement for their destruction. And the time appointed in the decree draws nigh. The people will conspire to root out the hated sect. It will be determined to strike in one night a decisive blow which shall utterly silence the voice of dissent and reproof." Unquote. But in this very hour, God will intervene. In the Great Controversy, page 635, <clears throat> the people of God, some in prison cells, some hidden in solitary retreats in the forests and in the mountains, still plead for divine protection, while in every quarter companies of armed men, urged on by the host of evil angels, are preparing for the work of death. It is now, in the hour of utmost extremity, that the God of Israel will interpose for the deliverance of his chosen. 
I'm reading Isaiah 30, 29 to 30. And the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard, and shall show the lightning down of his arm with the indignation of his anger, and with the flame of devouring fire, with scattering and tempest and hailstones. Thus, the deliverance will come to God's faithful. With shouts of triumph, jeering and imprecation, throngs of evil men are about to rush upon their prey, when, lo, a dense darkness, deeper than the darkness of the night, falls upon the earth. Then a rainbow shining with the glory from the throne of God spans the heavens and seems to encircle each praying company. The angry multitudes are suddenly arrested. Their mocking cries die away. The object of their murderous rage are forgotten. With fearful forebodings, they gaze upon the symbol of God's covenant and long to be shielded from its overpowering brightness." Unquote. At this point, we have come to the end of our study of the big time of trouble. And in our next tapes, we will continue to study God's final deliverance. Oh, how precious is the promise of Psalms 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Praise his holy name. But I would not be faithful to the trust that God has placed upon me if I did not close this study with an urgent appeal that it is today, now, and not later, that we are to separate sin from our lives and become perfect in Christ. Allow me to read God's stirring appeal through his servant. Now, while our great high priest is making the atonement for us, we should seek to become perfect in Christ, not even by a thought could our Savior be brought to yield to the power of temptation. Satan finds in human hearts some point where he can gain a foothold. Some sinful desire is cherished, by means of which his temptation assert their power. But Christ declares of himself, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, John 14.30, Satan could find nothing in the Son of God that would enable him to gain the victory. He had kept his Father's commandments, and there was no sin in him 
that Satan could use to his advantage. And then these words. This is the condition in which those must be found who shall stand in the time of trouble. It is in this life that we are to separate sin from us through faith in the atoning blood of Christ. Our precious Savior invites us to join ourselves to him, to unite our weakness to his strength, our ignorance to his wisdom, our unworthiness to his merits. God's providence is the school in which we are to learn the meekness and lowliness of Jesus. The Lord is ever setting before us not the way we would choose, which seems easier and pleasanter to us, but the true aims of life. It rests with us to cooperate with the agencies which heaven employs in the work of conforming our characters to the divine model. None can neglect or defer this work, but at the most fearful peril to their souls. Great Controversy 623. Let us pray. Dear God, look down upon us weak mortals, and in thy mercy and love grant us victory over our sins just now, that we may be ready to be sealed before probation closes. This is our prayer. In his name, amen. And when the gifts of glory comes, that gives my soul a happy thrill, my soul shall answer with delight, I love dear Lord.